Well, markets are still wondering where to go now. The news on Omicron is mixed. It spreads more easily, but it's less potent. But who knows, really? Uh, we're left with flatter yield curves, a falling US dollar, and the Aussie dollar for that matter as well, an uncertain path for oil, and all eyes on US jobs tonight as well. Uh, last night we saw that claims slowed, so it's far from a rapid recovery, but people are still quitting jobs, so go figure. It's Friday, the 3rd of December, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, there is a little more positive sentiment this morning, but no guarantee it's going to stay that way. Of course, the US dollar has aged forward a little. It's up 0.3% against the Japanese yen. The pound is up 0.2%. The euro is down 0.1%. The Aussie dollar down 0.2%, falling below 71 US cents. Stocks are up. The Dow rising 2%, 1.6% for the S&P 500 and 0.9% for the Nasdaq. They're all down a little from uh, earlier gains. And stocks are falling in Europe. The euro stocks 50 down 1.7%. The FTSE 1 down half a percent and that dichotomy if that is the word is uh, that difference anyway is reflected in bonds too the difference between uh, the US and Europe yields up five basis points on 10 years in the United States but down across Europe 10 year bonds are three basis points lower the same for France even more in Italy and Spain and oil is back on the rise but it crashed mid-session WTI was up over $67 it fell to 63 then climbed back again the same for Brent which cleared well above $70 but fell back to a bit over 66 and it's now back up over 69 it's been a bit of a session hasn't it it's Tapper Strickland with us today from NAB in Sydney so there is a bit more optimism or at least less caution is that because uh, we're hearing good news although there's no solid news is there on on the strain or is it opportunists buying the dip or is it just we've got a lot of investors actually not quite sure where to turn so it's all just volatility all over the place good morning Phil I think it's a combination of all three there and at least the vaccine Mm. and virus news overnight was on the net uh, on the positive side of the ledger uh, and the two yeah. two key things were that Pfizer repeated what its vaccine partner BioNTech had said earlier in the week, that it didn't expect its vaccine would see a significant drop in efficacy. Um, so obviously they haven't completed their laboratory studies yet, and it's likely those studies um, will come through in the next uh, nine or ten days. But uh, at least their prior is uh, that they should provide some effectiveness. And then in South Africa, and this is partly what drove the risk off in Europe at least, um, South Africa is seeing an increase in COVID-19 reinforcement infections due to the Omicron variant. But when you actually looked at the press conference in more details, um, the head of their National Institute of Diseases said symptoms for people who were reinfected or were infected after vaccination appeared to be mild. And so there is some, it does seem to be that there is some notion that uh, this virus variant, at least from the data that we have at the moment, and it is quite quite limited, uh, suggests that if you are fully vaccinated, um, then uh, what you do get is a relatively mild set of, set of symptoms after being infected by the Omicron variant. Now, it, some people might be taking two and two and getting 24 because, that, you know, there's an argument that, well, hey, hang on a second, if this is milder than the original strain and it obliterates the original strain, then could this actually be our way out? Could this become the dominant strain, which actually isn't that bad for us. Yeah, so it's uh, probably know, a little bit too early to draw to draw to exactly draw that picture, but that is what some health officials are going down. Mm. Um, but the key thing there is if you're full, some, inve- if, some investors, I think, are working on that basis oh yeah, yeah. as well. I think aren't they? definitely, but obviously these are very early days. But the key thing is, um, mm. uh, it's mild if you're fully vaccinated. Um, so yeah. uh, I think countries right around the world will continue to try and 
um, incentivize their populations to become fully vaccinated. And there yeah, was some movements yeah, yeah, exactly. Which, which, the problem is, of course, that's going to take time, isn't it? But Germany is an interesting case, isn't it? So just on South Africa, I mean, just the numbers there, uh, the the number of cases has doubled <laughs> in the last twenty four hours. But if we uh, if, if we look at uh, that for the for the new strain, but if, if we look at the uh, the, the number of the fatalities. Uh, you know, they're sort of hanging around and being where they've been, you know, for, for the last month or so, around 30 to 34 days. There's no there's no jump in that. But uh, in Germany, we are seeing an increase. So the, uh, and it's and it's curious as to why. I mean, they, they've so they've got this lockdown for the unvaccinated, which is pretty much the model we had in Australia for a while. You can't go anywhere if you haven't had the, uh, the jabs. And now they're also perhaps talking about uh, mandatory vaccines happening there as well. But if you look, you know, the, the number of deaths there from 20 a day at the end of August up to 390 a couple of days ago, which is actually worse than they were this time last year. So no wonder they are panicking. And this is with 70 percent of the population fully vaccinated, which is about the same as the UK. So it's curious, isn't it, as to why Germany is doing so badly? Uh, it definitely is, is curious. We, we're doing some analysis of the data in the Netherlands, just because the Netherlands publishes pretty comprehensive health data. And at least until a few weeks ago, and this is prior to the Omicron variant, the rise in hospitalizations was being driven by the people who are unvaccinated uh, and mm. also mm. was driven by people who are older than 70 years um, and who are fully vaccinated. And it appears that uh, the vaccine efficacy had been fading over a period of six or seven months. Um, so um, yeah. the Netherlands is really aggressively rolling out its booster program. And I think that's the reason why more countries will start to focus on that booster program and then the th and the second piece of news in terms of virus vaccine news is that there was at least one uh, drug treatment for COVID-19 that seemed to be effective against some of the mutations on the Omicron variant in laboratory studies. So that did add to a little bit of uh, positive sentiment there. In the US, flatter yield curves generally, uh, more people now coming out from the Fed talking about this need to taper faster, just getting on with it, basically. Uh, yes, and that kind of hawkish tilt from the US Fed has been in train for the past month and there's been a number of Fed officials over the past week, including Fed Chair Powell. And overnight, we've got the Fed's Bostic, uh, the Fed's Quiles, and uh, the Fed's Daily as well. And I guess the two key highlights for me uh, was um, the Fed's Quiles. So he's, he, he's going out, so he was relatively liberal in his uh, thoughts there. Uh, and he said in terms, of the Fred's, uh, in terms of the Fed's average inflation targeting framework, he said, um, when fighting inflation pressures to wait, uh, we, we wait until we see the whites of their eyes. But we never said would let the army march over us. And so the army is upon us. And so now we'll begin to fire. So very um, exuberant language there. But it does. What does that mean? What exactly does that mean? I'm trying to still. <laughs> I, I guess it means is he's really fearing the um, an outbreak of, of inflation. And I think for many in the Fed, mm. uh, the past two CPI prints, which showed uh, those inflation pressures brought out, particularly in the Dallas Fed trim mean measure, has, has concerned many of them. And then in terms of how high yeah. rates may go, uh, the Fed's daily was out um, overnight and said she had no expectation that uh, rates would rise beyond where the Fed thinks the neutral uh, interest rate is, which is around 2.5%. So um, maybe that plays to that view that uh, with the Fed likely to hike rates earlier, then maybe the peak in the Fed fund cycle might be a little bit lower than uh, what, what people had thought previously. Right. So Janet Yellen has been saying that, uh, well, maybe they could reduce some of the uh, the tariffs they've got as well on uh, on imports. Maybe that's going to help reduce the inflation. That does seem like they're just sort of like pootling around the edges a bit there, doesn't it? Oh, it definitely does. And it does look like um, 
the rise in inflation that we have seen, uh, even though it has been driven by a lot of those supply chain pressures, has fed its way through to inflation expectations and is feeding it through to, mm. to, to wage claims. So uh, regardless of whether they can ease up on those those tariffs there, and there might be political reasons to suggest maybe they can't, especially heading into the midterm elections next year, um, that the Fed will have to uh, tighten up policy into next year. So where are inflation expectations? Are they still rising or are they starting to, to plateau now? Uh, at least in terms of survey measures, they're actually starting to rise again uh, and they're above their long and average levels uh, for the consumer out of the University of Michigan survey and also for economists out of the out of the 10-year um, Philly uh, Fed survey of economists' um, expectations as well. Right, so oil's had an interesting day, hasn't it? It was rising, it's lost that now, but, you know, it really fell, didn't it? Because OPEC earlier on uh, pushed ahead with their agreement to uh, increase production in January, an extra 400,000 barrels a day. So, of course, that pushed prices down a great deal. And then they said that, that actually they would uh, delay that increase or uh, go back on it if uh, Omicron has a an impact on demand so uh so that pushed prices back up again uh, i tell you uh oil it's been pulled in all directions hasn't oh yeah it? definitely and uh, the primary run is due to the omicron variant and all those uh covid19 travel restrictions that have been put in place um and if we do get some easing up on those restrictions then you'd see that part of the demand component for oil return um mm. if you don't then um Obviously, the risk to the oil price would probably be to the downside, and you'd probably see OPEC react to that. Yeah. I mean, we're not actually seeing uh, movement uh, going down in any way. People are still getting out and about, aren't they, it seems, uh, even though all the concerns about Omicron. Uh, and those concerns, of course, that, that risk sentiment are hitting the Aussie dollar. So the Aussie dollar falling a bit further today, falling below 70 US cents. So could could it get lower? Have we uh, have we reached a point? I know, obviously, it depends on where we go from here and how much risk there is associated with uh, with the with this new strain and where that takes us but i mean if it if it's bad news and we continue to get caution in the markets could we see the aussie getting down to 65 for example well amid the heightened uncertainty in regards to covid 19 back in um, march april in 2020 i think the aussie got down to a low of 55 us cents um, now of course there was a lot of uncertainty back then and no one had thought that we would have an effective vaccine within 12 months um so Perhaps it doesn't get as low as that, um, but I think you could say um, that if you were to get uh, more concerning news on the virus variant, then the risk to the Aussie is to the downside. So jobs news now, that's the uh, that's the focus, isn't it? Because it's non-farm payrolls, of course, uh, tonight. But we had the uh, the weekly jobless claims in the United States uh, for last week overnight. No, not as much uh, of a... Uh, well, well, let's look at it this way. There were 222 claims versus... 194,000 the week before. So that's not uh, as many claims as as were expected, but on the surface it does look as though jobs are going backwards, particularly, you know, particularly because all those excuses like, you know, there's the the benefits that were uh, being paid are, have all been paid back now. You know, waiting for school to start, well they're all back now. I mean, all those excuses have gone. But we're not seeing those uh, those jobless claims really falling back a great deal, are we? And in fact, as I say, this week actually up a little bit. Yeah, so for jobless claims, uh, I'll take a slightly different view and I'd say it's relatively positive. So if you cast your mind back last week when jobless claims hit that 190,000, now revised to 194,000, um, that was the lowest level of claims since November 1969. And there was some contention around then whether that was real or whether it re- reflected favourable seasonal 
factors. And you'd have to say with jobless claims rising by less than what the market had expected, you'd have to say some element of that was real and really does signal uh, how tight the labour market is at, at the moment. Uh, in terms of the employment mm-hmm. numbers, in terms of the unemployment rate, though, it, it, it's still remains highly uncertain whether the fall in participation that we have seen, whether that will reverse as the labour market tightens further. There has been a number of studies citing um, a number of factors for why the participation rate may not rise back to its pre-pandemic levels, including uh, earlier retirements. And I think uh, I think some estimates point towards about one and a half to two million people may have retired from the US labour market uh, since the pandemic. So I guess jobless claims is one of those Stats out there that does suggest that the labour market is re- relatively tight and probably plays into that view of the Fed uh, needing to hike rates in in twenty twenty two. Yeah, so it doesn't really matter too much what non farm payroll shows tonight because it, it doesn't seem like they are uh, as much of a focus for the Fed as as they were because they can point to, for example, uh, you know the number of people quitting jobs at sort of a, you know at all time highs, showing that there's a tight labour market. Uh, does it really matter what the numbers are? It seems like they are intent on speeding up this this tapering, come what may. Uh, from a thematic sense, I don't think it really matters. But obviously, the payroll numbers themselves are, are market moving. And the consensus there looks for 545,000 jobs. And the risk, you'd have to say, is probably balanced. So when I was looking at the high-frequency data, such as a home-based data, they're pointing to around 570,000 jobs in November. So the consensus is pretty ballpark in regards to all those high-frequency indicators. But the key thing uh, here is uh, what is the Fed's estimate of maximum employment? And uh, that is what is has been driving in terms of whether the Fed would start to hike rates in 2022 or not. And uh, the Fed seems to be coming around to the pre-pandemic view that maximum employment occurs, or well, at least you know where maximum employment is when you start to see inflation rising on a sustainable basis, because that means you're probably getting closer to that Nehru estimate. And so with those inflation pressures broadening throughout the economy, I think the Fed perhaps is thinking that maybe the US economy is closer to what they would deem some sort of uh, maximum employment in that framework, um, just given you're starting to see uh, inflation expectations rise, you're starting to see wages grow. And when you look at average hourly earnings and what they're expected to be in the payrolls report, they're expected to be up 5% year on year. So it would suggest that uh, wages growth is, is lifting on the back of higher inflation expectations as well. And uh, yeah, we probably haven't got time to talk about everything else, but we've got US ISM services uh, tonight. We've got the retail sales for Europe, occasioning services, PMI for China, Canada's unemployment rate. I'm sure you could talk lots about those, but we haven't got time, Tapas. We're going to have to leave it there for now. Uh, great to talk to you again. Cheers. Uh, thanks, Phil. We are out of time for today and for the week. I'm Phil Dobby for now. I'll catch you after the weekend. See you Monday morning. Thanks for listening.